Welcome to the Who's Hooping Podcast, hosted by Sean Crow and Kari Williams, where we discuss all things UVA men's basketball. We look forward to breaking down the current team, what's to come in the future, as well as some of our favorite and toughest Wahoo moments. We plan to give you guys the content you love to hear, whether you're a diehard fan that's been around forever, or you just found out about the team this past week. So stick around, lay back, and listen to two average guys tell you all about it. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Hooping, the first pod of the summer for me and Sean, and also what we are calling the official start to season two. Um, as of now, there's a chance it's become season one, episode nine. It could become a bonus. But we feel pretty strongly that this is the start of season two, episode one. So uh, for our returning listeners, welcome back. And then for those who are new, glad to have you. Sean, how's everything been going for you? I know it's been a minute since we last talked. Yeah, coming off a little bit of a hiatus here, but always exciting to kick this back up. Yeah, things have been going well and excited to dive into this 23-24 season. Yeah, man. So for those listening, today we're planning on it being pretty chill, I think, in my mind, Sean. Uh, Just talking about uh, some updates and some finalizations that have happened since we last chatted. We last spoke to you guys. It was back in mid-April, end of April, discussing things such as uh, Reese going into the draft, a lot of the transfer news that we had had coming out of UVA and some transfers coming in. But since then, everything's solidified. We have the official roster posted at virginiasports.com, some coaching changes, so a lot to get into today, and then also talking about what's looking up for some future who's potentially, and then also our non-conference slate was announced. So Got some good stuff coming up pretty quickly, but I'll dive right into it. Sean, how are you feeling about the finalized roster? Want to give us some thoughts on some recent changes that have happened since we last spoke? Yeah, so first and foremost was the massive news that Reese Beekman is returning for his fourth season here at UVA. I guess there always remains the possibility that he could return for his fifth, but that doesn't seem like it would happen. So either way, great to have Reese back for his senior year. I think most UVA fans are pumped to see him really get the chance to have the keys and, and be the true driver of the team next year. You know, he, he had a split time his first three years with K.A. Clark, so I think most UVA fans are excited to see him truly run the show and looking for a big year for Reese. And I think definitely this is a, a huge boost to our outlook for next year is, is having Reese. And he definitely kept us waiting. I think he – he didn't announce that he was returning until uh, it was like maybe 9, 10 p.m. on the, the night when deadline was at midnight. Yeah, it was definitely within like those last like two or three hours. I feel like I just remember watching like all these names coming back. And I just thought like he's definitely pulling like one of those ones. If I'm the last name out, I can definitely probably see how many second round guys or first round guys are going to drop out. And maybe by default, I move my position up. But no, I definitely was sweating it. I know you mentioned this. this is his fourth season here. I feel like for all the times we'll talk about Kihei being at UVA forever, it's wild to think that Reese has been here for four seasons already. It just has not felt like it's been that long, and it's crazy to think that he's actually a like senior at Virginia right now. So, um, yeah, Sean, feel free to continue. Didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, you're good. Yeah, somehow his timeline has gone a little faster. But, um, but yeah, I think this is massive for the team. Uh, I think – you know, all UVA fans, our hopes are, are so high with Reese Beekman. I think uh, for as good as he's been in his career, I really do think he has the ability to to bring his game to the next level. 
Uh, by that, I mean, I think at minimum he could be a second team all ACC player, maybe even first if he can show some growth with his jump shot and more assertiveness on the offensive end. I think he could be, you know, ACC defensive player of the year um, here again in 23, 24. Um, and I think he definitely has the opportunity to make himself a first round draft pick next year. I know uh, a very early mock draft came out through ESPN plus for next year. And it actually featured two who's Reese Speakman and Ryan Dunn, both in the, uh, in the first round. So, I think this was a uh, a massive development to get Reese back for next year and, and extremely improves the outlook for this upcoming season. Sean, do you actually have ESPN plus? I do. Oh, one of, I feel like I'm missing out on it. They're putting everything behind ESPN plus. And they won't let you know. I feel like when it was ESPN insiders, they'd at least show you the little icon, letting you know what articles you don't get. Now they always just drag me in. I haven't given in yet, but I don't know. It's like, what, six bucks a month. At some point, I'll probably have to pull the trigger on it. But uh, yeah, no, it's been great having like Reese back. And I think with the NBA draft outlook, 2024 feels like a weaker draft class than 2023. Um, You look at the just 2023 senior class coming into college this upcoming year. There aren't as many like flashy headliners at the top. There isn't as much of a clear cut number one. Um, Now, it's rare to have a guy like Victor Wimbayama where you're pretty much the perennial number one pick from spring 2022 until you actually get drafted in june 2023 so that's usually not how it goes but it feels like this year or this upcoming draft class of 2024 has a lot of potential for reese to really stake his claim as a top point guard in the class i know there's some eyes on unc's new point guard elliot Kendu or kiddo um the ea you always throws me off a little bit um, you also have Duke returning their point guard out of Australia, who's expected to be a lottery pick. So there are some really great opportunities for Reese to get to play head to head against other top ACC guards and really show why he belongs in that first round with some of these other uh, people that are on the draft board pretty highly. But yeah, I mean, overall, roster's looking great with Reese coming back. Definitely a lot more optimistic with Reese than I was uh, without Reese. So. Sean, tell me a little bit more about some of the other pieces that have filled out alongside uh, since we last talked. Yeah, so I think since we last talked, the news came that Reese is returning. I don't think we had covered Jacob Groves' commitment yet. Um, And the same with Anthony Robinson as a late ad. I think you're probably looking at Anthony Robinson as a redshirt for this year. He was a developmental kind of late riser who uh, seems to ooze with defensive potential. Um, so definitely something to look forward to in the future. But yeah, I think what's really exciting about uh, this team for this upcoming season is I really think this is going to be a team where a lot of young talent really gets the chance to grow and develop and and play a lot of minutes. And I think uh, this team could have a really high ceiling for next year. I think uh, I'm expecting a big year from Isaac McNeely. I, I would kind of look at him as the most likely candidate for leading scorer on the team personally. Um, and then Andrew Rohde, I'm really high on, on the wing. Um, obviously, Ryan Dunn, I think we got a, a great taste this past year, but I think he could could really kind of take off and have sort of that maybe DeAndre Hunter. You know, his, his offensive game isn't, isn't to that level yet, but I think he could have that kind of uh, second-year jump. Obviously, DeAndre redshirted his first year, but I think um, could see something similar with Ryan Dunn. 
Um, and then, yeah, Jordan Miner is probably going to be the, the first big, and Blake Buchanan will likely play some minutes. Definitely excited about him. He uh, had the opportunity to attend, the I think, the Nike Hoop Summit and work out with Team USA, so that was great. Um, and then, yeah, you've got some some other pieces like Dante Harris, Tane Murray, Elijah Gertrude, Leon Bond. So I think it will be really interesting to see how the rotation shuffles out this year. It does seem like there could be a case for having maybe a deeper rotation this year than Tony tends to have, but we know that he does kind of settle on a, on a set, you know, seven to eight guys um, as the season goes on. So we'll see if that remains the case this year, but I'm definitely optimistic and excited for the season. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it later on, but we already have some early signs of Tony Bennett doing things a little differently than he has done in the past decade when we talk about scheduling. So we'll talk about that later on and some differences that are coming up, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the addition of Jacob Groves, like the addition of Anthony Robinson. Um, I kind of hope he doesn't redshirt um, as someone who has actually had to coach against him and seen him in person. The weight room is not going to be a problem for this young man. If he shows up to like, if he showed up on, well, he's probably on grounds right now and going through workouts. He's probably the most like physically built high schooler I've seen in a long, long, long time. So I don't think him and coach Curtis need to get well acquainted. I think he'll probably be knocking down coach Curtin's door or coach Curtis's door to work out more with him. And I think he's just, like, I'd be interested to see what he could gain from that red shirt. Obviously, like, learning play sets, getting used to the system. But I do think that could also be done without the red shirt and being able to just grow with it. Um, he obviously wouldn't have COVID eligibility, so that's a decision he has to weigh. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's the same story as some other bigs we've had in the past of get a little bit stronger and learn the system or develop your physicality to be able to compete at that college level. I think he already has the physical tools and gifts there. Um, and Jacob Groves, he's an interesting piece. Um, I think we have a good idea of who our starters could be, um, whether you have Dante Harris in there, maybe you flip um, Rody out, or perhaps I've even seen some consider Leon Bond as somebody that could crack into it potentially. Um, but what's going to be interesting to see is what Tony Bennett does with that eight, nine, 10 guy to see if he opens up that rotation. I think you guys, you have guys like Gertrude, Tane Murray, Groves, Blake Buchanan, um, a lot of guys kind of fighting in that spot right there. And you could have some guys that are well-deserving of 10 plus minutes, but might have to end up playing zero because of the tight rotations. But overall, um, it's a good, it's a good roster. I liked our chess pieces a bit more last year to kind of play around with things, but overall this is still a lot of things for Tony Bennett to think through and a lot of different looks. He'll be able to give different teams, uh, next year, but, uh, Sean, I'll pose that to you real quick. Uh, at this point last year, um, as a reminder to our listeners and UVA fans, we were returning five starters. Normally, that's a great thing. Um, we also returned five starters from a team that went to the NIT and greatly struggled with scoring in the past. So it wasn't as great of an optimism as you would have had in the past from a team that's returning all their guys. But if we had to look back, Sean, at this point in time compared to last year, are you more excited about our puzzle pieces this year um, or are you more excited about last year's team? Doesn't mean they'll be better or worse, but just more in terms of general optimism or excited excitement to watch them play. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good question. I think last year we were preseason AP number 18. And I think in the preseason ACC poll, we might have been second, I believe. Um, I think 
this year, you know, the, the official preseason poll hasn't come out yet, but, you know, early bracketology, we were looking like, a, you know, in the, in the eyes of the media, we're looking like possibly a bubble team or a, maybe an eight seed kind of in that area. Um, and on some articles I've seen, you know, we're not cracking people's too early top 25s. Um, John Rothstein had an ACC offseason breakdown today where he had us fourth overall. I would say, you know, I think it makes sense that the public perception of us is slightly tempered compared to where it was last year going into it. Um, I would say last offseason we had much more of a known entity with those five returning starters. You kind of knew what you were going to get, um, and, and you also kind of knew how the pieces were going to fit together. I think this year might be a team that starts off a bit slower, but I think this is probably a lower floor, higher ceiling team than next year, uh, or sorry, than last year. So I think for that reason, I may actually say that I'm a little more excited uh, for this year's team than I was for last year's. Uh, in particular, things that really make me feel that way are, number one, Reese getting to run the show all by himself, really, you know, handing him the keys to the offense, uh, letting him to continue to be a defensive disruptor, seeing what, what our potential is with him, you know, playing 30 minutes, not sharing the floor with Kihei. Um, that's something that excites me. Year two, Isaac McNeely and Ryan Dunn. That's another thing that really excites me. Uh, I think Isaac McNeely, if you actually look at it, he was – probably ahead of, you know, most first-year guards, uh, non-point guards that we've seen under Tony Bennett. You know, you could liken his stats to freshman year Kyle Guy. Really, that's the only UVA player as a freshman that has had the proficiency from the three-point line that Isaac Manili had. And then Ryan Dunn looks like he could be a, a true defensive ace, like first-team all-ACC defense type uh, player. Um, if he could just kind of work on his offensive game a bit, work on his shooting touch. Um, and then also what we've added. So uh, adding Andrew Rohde, he's someone to me that, that I'm really excited about. And then uh, Blake Buchanan seems really high ceiling and Jordan Miner uh, proved that, you know, he was NEC co-player of the year. I know it's obviously a low major. It'll be a big increase in competition level, but um, all in all, I would say I'm, I'm probably a little more excited uh, just because I think this is a team that feels like it could peak later in the year, which has been a bit of a struggle for us lately. I think, um, yeah, it's, it seems like a lower floor, higher ceiling group. All right. I can respect that. Um, I think I see things a little bit opposite. I think at this point in time last year, I was probably leaning more heavily towards um, the prior team, just the recruits we were bringing in some of the transfers we were able to like make moves with and then just being able to develop a deeper bench where we weren't able to even get minutes for some of our like top tier freshmen um, or excuse me, first years. Uh, that's a story for another day about how I think first years just need to become more talented and better. If they want to crack the rotation, but I will not die on that hill for this version of the podcast. Uh, but I do think that I liked last year's roster a bit better at this point in time. One thing I will say is that UVA, I feel like, has been lacking a bit of swagger since we lost Ty Jerome. Um, I feel like the best UVA teams I can always think of had that guy that brought swagger to the court, whether it was 
Joe Harris, honestly, the Joey Buckets had a little bit of a swagger to him, and those were really exciting teams to watch. The next big guy that I thought brought a lot of swagger to him by far had to be Justin Anderson. Like the three balls, the alley-oop, the heart, the passion he played with was incredible to watch. And I think the next iteration of great UVA teams that saw a lot of success, that swagger came from Ty Jerome. The ball fake deep three from volleyball range from at Cameron Indoor Stadium is going to go down as one of the all-time greatest UVA highlights. And I think Andrew Rohde is probably the next version of a guy that could give us that similar type of swagger. And I think I like our teams. They play with a little bit of an edge when they can play a little bit faster. They have a smart point guard to keep things controlled and everything functioning well, but just having a little bit of edge to them. So I think this team can go – it's never the front runners, I think, that make the most difference. It's always your three and your four, your five guy on the roster that really pushes everything forward. Um, like the championship team, when Mamadi got inserted to that lineup and having your fourth offensive option really elevate things made life a lot easier. Um, I think having Rody be that fourth option probably after Beekman, McNeely, and Minor on offense. Uh, I want to see Ryan Dunn do a bit more before he becomes a, like, we're running plays or sets for him. I feel like he's going to be one of those guys who's a defensive monster and then gets a lot of cleanup baskets. Oh, broken play or offensive rebound or cutting to the basket. I could see him scoring, but I want to see what Rody can do there. Um, and the other part is I'm looking at this in a vacuum between UVA rosters. That's one thing, but another part is just the overall college basketball landscape. Last year felt like there was a lot of parity that could happen and there was no such great team that was head over heels better than everybody else. No one really brought back a ton from a really talented, deep roster um, besides UNC. UNC, look, they'd have a really great roster, get a few at the top, but it really broke down early on. Um, this year, I think the rich got richer. Purdue last year had a great team and they were operating with two freshman guards. Those two freshman guards are now sophomores and they brought back national player of the year. Duke magically brought back a guy that could have been a potential lottery pick and Kyle Filipowski, their point guard this year, is expected to be a lottery pick. They brought back Mark Mitchell. They brought back a lot of talent. Um, you also have other teams at the top that stayed pretty strong. Florida Atlantic brought back a lot of their roster. You can look through UConn. They brought a decent amount of talent back. There's just a lot of teams at the top that stayed strong, stayed old, and brought in good guys. So, Although I think we have some good pieces and we can have a pretty high peak, I think the competition around us have higher peaks than they did last year, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I do think, all in all, the ACC is looking to be much improved this year, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, on paper, Duke looks great. And hopefully a lot of these middle of the ACC teams will, will step up as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of – where we'll leave the outlook for next year for now. I'm sure we'll dive into it, you know, as we get closer to the season and have the full schedule and some of these, you know, preseason polls get released and media day comes and, and whatnot, but um, can kind of leave that there for now. Next thing we could talk about is uh, the assistant coaching news. So um, Ron Sanchez kind of pulled a shocker and he stepped down as head coach at UNC Charlotte to return to UVA. Um, unfortunately for UNC Charlotte, it, it happened quite late in the hiring cycle where they kind of had to um, settle on an interim head coach for this year. But definitely, you know, great, great news given uh, the loss of Kyle Getter to, I think, Coach Sanchez. At least if you ask me, that's like 
shooting for the stars, someone who has been Tony Bennett's right-hand man. I think that's great uh, improvisation to get him back here. And then uh, Chase Coleman uh, will make some fans happy, a little sentimental favorite from walk-on to spot on staff as GA. So, Kari, um, what do you make of these coaching moves? And, uh, yeah, in particular, like how surprised were you to see Ron Sanchez I feel like it's pretty rare for a head coach to step down to become an assistant. Yeah. I mean, it feels like getting the band back together. Uh, if we can bring another coach back, Rich, uh, Coach McKay, still out there at uh, Liberty. We can always bring him back as well, too, and get the full uh, early 2010s uh, group going strong. But I think, honestly, the jump from UNC Charlotte back to – from Charlotte to Charlottesville – um, in terms of pay, probably is not going to be that much different going from Conference USA head coach to a top-tier program ACC head coach, especially with how Tony Bennett's been known to treat his assistants pretty well and favorably. Um, that in itself probably is a good switch. And then in terms of style of coaching, if you look at uh, just some of the metrics, if you looked at um, – oh, I'm blanking on it, Sean. It's like the really popular metric um, always does everything. Computer – it's like the top computer – analysis one what Ken a, Palm or Ken Palm yes thank you if you looked at pace on Ken Palm it was always you'd see UVA right there towards the bottom for slow pace but then you also see North Texas but you'd also see Charlotte there all the time too so I honestly think it's a brilliant move by Tony Bennett it is a little awkward I feel bad for Charlotte in some ways but also it's a North Carolina school they have bountiful talent of coaches that they can pull from anywhere in the state either high school ranks or talented assistants that are all around so not I don't feel like they're losing out too much it's not like he left the school in the middle of like Montana where it's like yeah you're not getting a guy like Ron Sanchez ever again so um it's good for us and I think what's really important is he's been great at teaching a a UVA-esque system and I think what people look to a lot is the head coach but if you think about it you have 13 guys you have walk-ons you have various different drills they're working on different coaches they're working with having another person around to really orchestrate and teach the system to those people is just a huge benefit so I personally think it's a win for us, and I'm looking forward to having him on the staff again, alongside Chase Coleman helping guards and just being that coach on the floor yet again, and then really just sharing up the coaching staff. I think we got a really elite group coming in. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think uh, this is a guy that Tony Bennett, or uh, it was either Tony Bennett or maybe even his dad, Dick Bennett, like handpicked at Washington State going back as far as 2003. And if you look at some of the best uh, UVA teams under Tony Bennett, Ron Sanchez was around for many of those years. So I would say anytime you can get someone who is so in sync and uh, knows Tony Bennett like the back of his hand, I think that can only yield dividends. So, you know, while I was bummed when Kyle Getter left because he's such a great recruiter, I think you can't argue with, with how Tony filled that gap and, yeah, I couldn't be happier to have Ron, Ron Sanchez coming back. Um, so, yeah, we can kind of move on from there to recruiting updates. So, Kari, why don't you start off with the exciting news about Christian Bliss? Yeah, so before we get into the exciting news about Christian Bliss, since we have to kind of update from our last episode, we have the unfortunate news that we did not get Jaron Stevenson. Um, the news, it seemed like it was not going to go our way as time went on, but I am bummed about that one. He looked it was it felt like a tease. It seemed like he was very excited to be on grounds and it seemed like he looked really good in a UVA jersey. And 
would have been a great big man for us to have. But Carl, <sighs> just to just to elaborate on that, did you did you see that article that came out today? There was a article about his recruitment process. It was a pretty interesting article. Okay, so do you pay for News and Observer too? Because I feel like I keep seeing all these things about this article, and I'm like, how is everyone paying for the local News and Observer? I'm from Durham, North Carolina, where the News and Observer is located, and I don't even pay for that local news. So no, uh, we I'm, have some. I'm not a subscriber, but uh, it worked for me. But kind of the the interesting, and, and I think there were signs of this, but the main takeaway for me was that really he was looking for a place that was going to help him. Uh, get on the track to the NBA as soon as possible. And it seemed like he had his mind set on reclassing and moving up a year. And they actually uh, included a snippet in the article saying that Tony Bennett was thinking, you know, if you do reclass and come a year early, I think it would be a good idea to redshirt. And he was looking more for, for playing in 2023, 2024. Um, I hope it works out for him. It is a bit of a crowded roster and they did get uh, Grant Nelson from North Dakota State, kind of. Who's sick. His yeah. highlight tape is incredible. No, he's definitely good, but um, I think the Grant Nelson thing became official after Jaron Stevenson committed, so hopefully he's not stepping into a, a bad situation there. That's besides the point. I think it'll work out in his favor. I mean, if he wants to go to the league, I mean, he can be Gigi Jackson. I mean, he's going to be the 45th pick in the uh, 2024 NBA draft, be my guest, but – you know, I'm not going to wish down on anybody else. I, as a former, as a UNT fan, I'm salty. Gigi Jackson chose to go to South Carolina and reclass early and then, you know, end up being the 44th, 45th pick. But we all make our own choices. But in terms of positive news, we did get a pickup from a point guard named Christian Bliss. Um, big, big time get for UVA. A typical Tony Bennett type recruit where um, slightly under recruited. I'm sure when all the recruiting updates kick in from the summer sessions after everyone's gone through their EYBL, Adidas circuit, Under Armour circuit. Right now, he's lifted probably in that 130, 140 range. Um, expect to see that probably pop into a top 100 guy once the uh, updated rankings start to come in. But overall, he's the first recruit or first commitment in our 2024 class. Um, we'll be filling in that point guard slot that will be left or by uh, Reese Beekman. So when that scholarship opens up, probably going to go right to Christian Bliss. So great get for UVA and really looking forward to seeing um, how he develops at UVA. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of been a funny thing to follow for, for UVA fans. Point guard has felt like our biggest immediate need in recruiting for like two, three classes in a row now. And there were some guys we passed on, you know, the likes of Austin Nunez and um, London Johnson, who famously was about to commit and then decided to go uh, the G G League route. Um, So for me, like, I feel like Tony got his guy. And that's what most excites me. Uh, This is a guy that Tony Bennett prioritized. And you know when Tony Bennett locks in on a point guard, that tends to end up being a, a good outcome when, when you look at the recruitments of, of London Perantes, um, Devin Hall even, and uh, Ty Jerome, of course. So, and, and yeah, I agree. Christian Bliss is a late bloomer. If you, even if you looked at his EYBL st- stats, um, scoring, I think he was right around like 10 points per game. Not that EYBL is the, the prettiest form of basketball, but uh, he's one of these guys that, you know, has the the standard 
three assist to turnover ratio that uh, we've seen other UVA point guards, you know, be right around that level in the past. And he also seems like he could be a, a really good defensive player as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then here in the Peach Jam, he had a really good performance, and I think his his numbers were way up. So, like you said, all signs point to this being a, a late bloomer, another guy that Tony identified relatively early and maybe got to commit before who knows who else could have gotten involved in his recruitment. But even the players that were involved, like you beat out Villanova, Xavier, Miami, that's a pretty good sign that, you know, this is a, a good recruit to win over. So definitely couldn't be more excited about having Christian Bliss in the fold. Yeah, I have to agree. It's nice beating Villanova out for something. Although Jay Wright is no longer on the sidelines, it's not beating Jay Wright out. I will still take a win over Villanova because normally if it's a UVA versus Duke recruiting battle or a UVA versus Villanova, um, a lot of that in history has been marked off of paint. You talked about a lot of uh, Tony Bennett's hand-picked point guards. I did not hear a mention of Peach Jam MVP Kihei Clark, so I just want to make sure to throw some respect on his name. We're talking about Nike, EYBL, and Peach Jam statistics. Kihei was the uh, Peach Jam MVP, and a similar Christian Bliss, I think, did come home with uh, – first team peach jam honors now peach jam first team is about 10 people deep so it's not a traditional kind of first team definitely a lot of love being spread around but still to be the lead guard for an organization like psa cardinals which has been a really great organization and then still getting first team and peach jam with a a heck of a roster that was there um, i'm not going to slide him on that even if it's 10 deep there were plenty of incredible talented players it could have gone to so big accomplishment and looking forward to him absolutely and kind of looking more broadly at recruiting so psa cardinals that's a good uh good segue because we're actually recruiting one of christian bliss's um teammates from that aau program uh matthew hodge who is sort of that modern forward that tony bennett seems to love uh he seems like he has the the potential to um, maybe fill in in that uh, Isaac Trout type role. Um, He has announced that he's going to be visiting UVA September 21st. We've also recently extended an offer to David Punch. So those are two guys at the forward position that we could be looking at as as serious contenders. Uh, David Punch, from what I've heard, is – more of a his offensive game might not be as polished, but like a, a could be a great glue guy and a, a really good defender and rebounder um, and a really athletic guy as well. And then Con Knipple, could this be Tony's first five star recruit card? Well, technically, Kyle Guy was a five star recruit, and I was just about to say, Con feels to me like it feels like we're still searching for our first guy that sticks with it like Kyle guy was a guy that kind of blew up towards the end I feel like that entire draft class was all guys that once those final summer rankings came out they all climbed and we were able to get them early on but we were not able to get to Khan before the climb and now we're facing the blue blood offers coming in for him too but I hope we can get him we've been on him for a while he fits the system great score has like a Joe Harris s type build to him just feels like he would be a great addition for the program and really be able to score well in that mover blocker offense and just even if we went to some of our five out four out like just some of the new sets we've seen as Tony Bennett has had to play with more roster pieces 
Um, but just even traditional UVA offense seems like it'd be built well for him coming off screens or being able to work out of the post a little bit too. So really, really excited about him. Um, just feel like the train's kind of slowly leaving the station if we don't get him on board soon. Yeah, with, with Con Knipple, I would say, like, he seems to be one of the most polished offensive players in the uh, 2024 class. And this seems to be a recruit for Tony that, maybe not necessarily at a position of need. We do kind of have a uh, a, pr- a pretty good uh, stock of um, people at that wing position between, you know, Rhodey, McNeely, uh, some of the incoming guys. Um, but the talent is just there and, and would be a home run to, to get him. I think it's going to be tough. Seems like uh, he has pretty strong ties to staying – close to home so maybe Wisconsin Marquette but then again he's now hearing from the likes of Duke and Alabama and who knows if you might hear from you know Michigan State some others so definitely going to be a competitive recruitment but uh, the staff does seem to have developed a a stronger relationship with him so we can remain hopeful and I think I've heard he's likely to commit shortly before his senior year begins so this is probably a recruitment that's going to stretch on into maybe September, October timeframe. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the notable updates for 2024 recruiting card. Did you want to talk about a few things that are exciting you about 2025 recruiting? Yeah. So the most exciting thing in 2025, uh, UVA, we have not thrown an offer out to these guys yet, but I really like our chances for uh, one Cooper flag or uh, the Boozer uh-huh. twins. I'll even take ACE flag at this point too. Um, but on a more serious note, uh, just as exciting as uh, the Flag Brothers and the Boozer Brothers is Chance Mallory. Um, for those that are not um, who have not heard the name Chance Mallory, um, so Chance Mallory plays for uh, I always know him as Stab, but it's what Saint Anne Belfield or Benfields? Yeah, Saint Anne's Belfield. Saint Anne's Belfield. So a local uh, private school out of Charlottesville. Um, who has plenty of talent to go. Chance Mallory has been the starting point guard there. I want to say maybe this is going, this season will be his third year as a starting point guard. Um, but overall sits at a 5'9", 5'10", stature, maybe 160, 170 pounds. But the kid is an absolute bucket getter. Um, shoots the heck out of the ball. Really, really talented player. They play in a really competitive division of uh, Virginia independent schools. I think they lost in the state championship this past season to uh PVI Paul the sixth so either way I mean that Paul the sixth team this past season was one of the top five teams in the country so um, obviously to get to that state championship game uh, and being led by Chance Mallory as a uh, sophomore that season alongside coach Wilford's son and a bunch of other talented players on that roster um, so really really excited about him getting that UVA offer and hopefully we can keep some Charlottesville talent in Charlottesville for uh, a couple more seasons yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think Chance Mallory is is five foot nine, so maybe he could help continue Tony Bennett's affinity for for small guards. But no, in, in all seriousness, he seems to be a dead eye shooter. And yeah, this definitely feels like a recruitment that you'd have to think maybe we're in the very early driver's seat for. I think he's taken a visit to Maryland, but as a hometown hero type situation, hopefully that will turn out to be in our favor. And then one other thing with 2025 recruiting, no offer yet, but uh, Jacob Wilkins, younger half-brother, I believe, of Isaiah Wilkins, uh, he seems like he's going to be a maybe a five-star 
Uh, he's gotten offers from a lot of programs already. And, you know, maybe the family tie of being in the Wilkins family will help us there. Is he act so this one, Jacob Williams, he's actually Dominique's son, right? Yes. And I think uh, he's Isaiah Wilkins is the stepson of Dominique. Yes. So, yeah, for those back home, uh, ironically, Isaiah Wilkins, I believe, uh, I believe his last name was already Wilkins before coming into the family, if I remember that correctly. I feel like I heard that or saw that somewhere. Could be wrong. If I am wrong, no disrespect to the Wilkins family, but Dominic Wilkins being um, Isaiah Wilkins' stepfather is Jacob Wilkins' actual dad. Um, so hopefully uh, human highlight reel is being reincarnated uh, and can come to Charlottesville. I once again am searching for that Justin Anderson replacement for Alley Oops and JPJ and just throwing down vicious dunks. So hopefully he can fill that spot. But it's just a great class of family ties or Charlottesville ties. And speaking of it, um, no offer yet. And not necessarily on UVA's radar, but um, Coach Williford's son, I believe his name is Austin Williford, um, really hoping he can grow into a high major prospect. Uh, would be a great, great story. Um, obviously, right now as a prospect, doesn't project at the moment to be on UVA's radar. But would love to just see us be able to have a great 2025 class of guys from Charlottesville, guys with family ties to the program, and being able to keep them around. But um, he's looked great over the summer, um, but when it comes to D1 recruits and D1 recruiting, it's not always just about how you look on a high school court. A lot of it comes down to sizing, how you project for college matchups, and then how you project out into being at like a high ACC level competition. But overall, that 2025 class is shaping up to be a really strong one, and hopefully we can bring home some really good uh, Charlottesville or family tie recruits. And maybe, just maybe, we bring in the Flag Brothers and the Boozer Brothers if they don't go to Duke or UNC. Still holding out hope for one of those. Yeah, I don't think that's happening, Kari. But that being said, I think there's definitely a lot of reason for optimism in both the 2024 and 2025 classes. A lot of uh, intriguing names that we seem to be mentioned with early on. So definitely a lot of exciting news on the recruiting front. So with we that, do have an offer to uh, we also have an offer out to Bryson Tiller, not the singer, but uh-huh. whenever I see his name, I can't not think about the singer Bryson Tiller. Um, top ten guy, we don't necessarily land top ten guys. Do you have any insights on like what the connection is to there, like where the I guess where the familiarity came for that offer to just arise? It just seems like it's a little unnatural or outside of the normal UVA recruiting style. Yeah, I am not knowledgeable about that one. I still stand by that uh, if we do get Bryson Tiller, I want to hear Bryson Tiller uh, playing in JPJ every time he uh, enters and a nice uh, Bryson Tiller don't every time uh, he gets a block on somebody. So maybe we can make it happen for the gimmick. Uh, he's also super talented, so I'd love him for the actual like play on the court, but definitely could have a lot of fun with the uh, PA announcers if he uh, does commit to UVA. Definitely. Um, so we can kind of wrap out here our last topic of the podcast with the non-conference schedule which just got released i think it was yesterday and maybe two days ago but um as season ticket holders kari and i have a vested interest and unfortunately i must admit the home non-conference schedule is not looking all that appetizing but the overall non-conference schedule while not our strongest i do think they're There's no shortage of intriguing games on here. So just to run through it, we open at home with Tarleton State. 
then have the neutral site game against Florida in Charlotte. Kari, is that one that you might potentially make your way to or? Considering it, uh, Florida with um, Todd Golden, uh, i interested to see what kind of team they have. I know his strategy usually has been focused on transfers, so you look into Florida's roster a little bit more, but, you know, might be worth the two-hour drive. Nice. Um, North Carolina A&T at home, Texas Southern at home, and then you've got the Fort Myers tip-off where we're playing Wisconsin first and then either West Virginia or SMU. And, you know, I know the running joke is UVA fans are always sick and tired of having to play Wisconsin in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Well, the silver lining is there's no more ACC Big Ten Challenge. Now it's ACC SEC Challenge. And the other silver lining is now that we see what has happened with West Virginia's offseason, I think uh, we've we've guaranteed to probably be matched up with the best of the other three teams. So I think anytime you can guarantee, you know, a, a higher strength of schedule, that's a good thing. So playing Wisconsin for, guaranteed may not be bad here. Definitely. And then um, Texas A&M, of course, was announced as the inaugural ACC SEC challenge opponent for UVA. And this one will be held in Charlottesville. Kari as a season tick hold, ticket holder. All I can say is, Thank goodness this one is being played in Charlottesville. If not, the home non-conference slate would be a, a pretty tough one to, to stomach. Yeah, you know, once they get you into these season tickets, you love them. But yeah, this is one of those years where if we did not have Texas A&M and maybe a few of these other games, I'm probably already looking ahead to like 2024 and just saying, let me hold on to these just in case these home and homes flip our way for next year or we uh, find some other things to do. But yeah, it's, we'll call it, it's, it's a light schedule. Um, I'll help you finish this out real quick. So after Texas A&M for the SEC challenge, uh, we then head back to Charlottesville to play North Carolina Central, uh, followed by Northeastern. We then head on the road for the first of our home and home series that was recently announced against Memphis. Uh, so we are playing the Memphis Tigers. Um, with how old they are, we may as well be playing the Memphis Grizzlies, um, team as old as can be. Uh, and then also we wrap up our non-conference slate with Morgan State. So, Sean, a couple call-outs that I noticed from this non-conference schedule. Um we don't necessarily have that big hitter right around that um, exam break that we've always had. When we were students, we would have games such as uh, Villanova home and away. I feel like we had some pretty good home and home series and saw some great games with them. Um, we had the infamous blowout at Houston um, two years ago, the really great game at JPJ against Houston this past season, which was almost number one versus number two, um, did not end up being that way, but, I feel like we've always tried to challenge ourselves at that Christmas break time period. And I feel like Memphis is a step back from that. Um, besides the fact that they are all like, you know, 26, 25, 24 year old, like people on that team, that team is old as can be. Um, but other things that are really great to call out, this is UVA's first time having a 31 game slate. Although the full schedule has not been announced, we can confirm that the ACC schedule will be 20 games, as it always is, and we have 11 on the non-conference schedule. Tony Bennett has been scheduling 30-game slates for the last, what feels like, decade, and I do think the last time we had 31 non-con, or excuse me, 31 games in the regular season was 2013-2014, maybe the season before. And then the last big call that I want to give is, 
love seeing the uh, HBCU love that UVA is giving with playing um, NCANT, Texas Southern, as well as NCC, NCCU. Uh, we know how much Drake loves TSU. Will he be in the building at JPJ? Who knows? <laughs> um, but I definitely will make sure I play TSU uh, all the way before that game. So uh, really appreciate what we're doing there and showing some uh, HBCU love on that. But Sean, what are your takes on our non-conference schedule? Yeah, so first off, Tarleton State to start. Shout out Tevin Jones. That's where he transferred Tevin, to. Tevin was fouled. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think uh, Florida, you know, I'm not too sure what to expect from them this year. They lost Colin Castleton, who was probably their best player. That being said, um, Coach Golden, I think his name is, he, mm-hmm. he, do, he does seem like a good rising coach. So, hopefully that ends up being a, a fun little matchup. Um, yeah, and then Texas A&M, it'll kind of be fun to have Buzz Williams return to JPJ. Obviously, we got to know him pretty well through the UVA-Virginia Tech rivalry. He might go through two or three Blazers in that game. We'll see. Uh, Henry Coleman also returning to, to UVA. Um, you know, that was a recruitment that a lot of us were hoping we might win out, but yeah, he obviously went to Duke and then transferred to A&M. Um, and then, yeah, Wisconsin, West Virginia, or SMU, and Memphis are our other sort of uh, power six matchups, you could say. Um, I guess Memphis is technically not power six, but regardless, they're a, they're a good program. So I think when you look at the non-conference schedule, it's certainly not as strong as last year, and it's not one of our best ever. That being said, I don't think it's a bad non-conference schedule. Selfishly as a fan, I just wish there were one or two more marquee home games. But I think with the roster we have this year, I think we have a lot of young players that are going to need some time to to develop. So I think the non-conference schedule is probably adequate for this group. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of my my thoughts about it. Yeah. Winner of the uh, Wisconsin game gets con. We We have to make sure we invite him to that game. Whatever it is, yeah. everyone just fly Con out and winner gets to uh, get his recruitment. Four Myers. Overall, man, like it's it's a good slate. Um, I think we can wait till we get closer to the actual season to talk about roster or excuse me, schedule predictions in terms of win loss. But um, overall the way it's shaping up to be, because there aren't as many exciting games on paper, that does also mean we probably should come out of this a bit more unscathed, but it does also make me a bit more concerned about the ACC needing to be very strong this year. It felt like towards the end of last year, we were always searching for when is that next quad one opportunity going to be, or after defeating a team, can they stay in that quad one um, area? UNC was flirting with it for quite some time. Duke was flirting with it until the end when they made their runs and were able to be a strong quad one victory from earlier in the year in Charlottesville. Michigan was quad two for quite a while until they got it together down the stretch, but um, would prefer to not have to hope and prod for five quad one wins this season. Would love to get more towards that seven, eight, nine range that tend to be a bit more um, protective for getting higher seeds and showing a stronger program, especially when you're being compared to the likes of, you know, Kansas who might have 20 quad one wins by the time the tournament starts. So 
hopefully uh, the ACC can regain some of its strength and we don't have to hear about how great the Big 12 is over and over again and how bad the ACC is, even though the ACC was bad and the Big 12 is pretty great, even though it's 14 teams now. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think non-conference play is going to be huge. I think the ACC was kind of behind the eight ball from the beginning of last year just with how non-conference play went. UVA had, like, the biggest non-conference wins of the whole conference, and then that really just uh, put a negative impact on the net rankings and quad system and and all that for the rest of the year. So hopefully, you know, I know it's kind of weird as a UVA fan, but it might not hurt to root for some of these ACC teams like Duke, Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech to win some some bigger games in the non-conference. But, but yeah, um, Kari, I think that's all we had for today. Yeah, man. Uh, I'll end it on Louisville. You know, 2024 NCAA champions. Let's go, uh, Cards. Throw those L's up. Um, not a chance. Not a chance they win the championship this year. Hopefully they don't, uh, you know, weigh down the ACC. But, yeah, that's all we got. Uh, John, glad we were able to get back into this. I know it's been a little bit. Hopefully uh, we can find some more topics to cover this summer and keep things fun. We'll try to find some good bonus content or maybe episode two or episode three, or maybe we continue season one. Who knows? But let's keep the train going. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you to our listeners. And until next time, go Hoos. All right, go Hoos. Remember, like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do, but throw us some ratings on uh, Apple Podcasts and wherever you hear this podcast. But once again, as always, go Hoos. Talk to you all soon.